Blog Talk Radio. everybody to this episode of Crime and Science Radio. We have a very special show for you today. It's entitled Meet Iris, the FBI's only electronic sniffing dog, and an interview with her handler, Jeffrey Calandra. Jeffrey has a Bachelor of Science in in Computer Science and a Master in Criminal Justice, Um, and his concentration has been in computer forensics for many years. He spent six and a half years as a special agent in child pornography, criminal computer intrusions, fraud, bomb threat cases, that kind of thing. He also insisted on counterintelligence and counterterrorism and drug and gang cases, and he even served as a member of the hostage uh, negotiation team. And he's currently a canine handler and uh, for the FBI's electronic scent detection canine uh, known as Iris, and we're going to learn a lot about Iris today. Jeffrey, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Great to have you here, Jeffrey. Um, tell us about the FBI and the use of dogs. How long has that been a service provided by the FBI? So um, just like any law enforcement agency, the FBI does maintain um, specific and different kinds of canines. Um, I- I've been in the Bureau since about 2010, so as long as I've been in, um, the field offices have uh, maintained explosive detection canines and narcotic detection canines. Um, even our headquarter unit um, in our forensic lab uh, ran um, some uh, some uh, chemical analysis and, and uh, did some research on uh, cadaver dogs, and they actually maintained a unit of cadaver dogs. They don't they don't run those dogs anymore. Um, that the program's kind of been put on hold as the bureau's restructuring uh, their canine unit. But it, for as long as I've been in, um, um, the use of dogs has been um, utilized by the FBI, and, and, and they have provided some resources to to some other uh, state and local partners as well with, with the use of those dogs. So uh, with these dogs that uh, do the different kinds of detection, you had mentioned uh, the cadaver dogs, but um, there's also dogs that detect drugs and explosives, can you give us sort of a general view of the various techniques that are used to train the dogs? Sure. So, I mean, it, all the training is basically uh, the same. So, I mean, the dogs are, are basically imprinted with um, an odor or a scent, um, whether that be some type of a chemical um, when it would come to be uh, come to be explosives or even with our electronics, there's a chemical associated with um, uh, TNT and TATP. Um, as well as uh, drugs, they have their own specific chemicals and marijuana, THC. Um, with uh, the, the cadaver dogs, um, uh, a, a corpse will emit um, a certain odor, a certain smell. A, a decaying body has a certain uh, smell to it. So um, 
those odors are, are, are what the dogs are essentially imprinted on. And it's, it's really basic. Um, a dog can uh, be imprinted on a specific odor with just as minimal as six repetitions. So basically, if, if you're going to present the odor to a dog and it's an odor you want the dog to be imprinted on to then produce uh, a response of locating that odor, um, you basically present the odor, the dog will sniff it, and then there's some type of re reward associated with that. And if you do that six times, essentially, that dog is going to be imprinted on that, that odor as long as there is uh, a drive for the reward um, that, is, that is given. So if you have a food-driven dog um, and the reward is food, um, six times on, on a specific smell and they're going to be imprinted on it. And obviously the imprintation we do thousands and thousands of repetitions, but um, you could be, as, like I said, as minimal as six, six repetitions. So everything has an odor to a dog. Um, and that's that's typically how we do it. We identify a specific chemical or specific scent, and that that that's what we will then imprint the dogs on. Wow, it's amazing that it happens that quickly. Um, how good are are the dogs at sniffing out corpses? I mean, uh, what kind of things mess them up? You know, can they find bodies that are deeply buried or those that are in water? And how does weather uh, environment affect their abilities to to track track down these corpses? Yeah, I mean, so so the, it's a, there's two answers to that question. Do, dogs are great at scent detection. Um, their, their noses, they have probably about 200 million olfactory receptors in their noses, where like a human has about two million. Um, so so they're magnificent at locating and picking up odor and, and picking up scent. Now, are there are they infallible? The answer is no. I mean, can they miss something? Can they make mistakes? Absolutely. They're living, breathing animals. Um, Typical factors that could trip them up. I mean, uh, cross-contamination of odors. Um, being that it's a living animal, they could be tired. It could be they could be sick. They can get sick as well, which can infect, uh, affect their their uh, scent capabilities. Uh, like you said, weather. Weather could absolutely uh, affect um, odor. Uh, if it's raining, if it's too hot, if it's too cold, um, weather does affect uh, scent molecules. So. Um, good and bad. So weather can affect uh, that odor. Can they find bodies that are, are, are deeply buried? The answer is yes, they can. Um, but it, it's going to also depend on time. It's going to depend on the temperature. Um, obviously, the longer, um, let's say, we'll use a body example, the longer the body is, is buried and in, 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 in the location that, it, that it's going to be found, the, the longer, uh, more odor is going to be generated from that area. I mean, odor will leach out of a specific area, so time does play a factor. Um, can they find b bodies in water? Yes. Yeah. So a body uh, that m might have drowned, um, gases will be emitted from that body that um, will float to the surface of the water. I mean, there are dogs that um, will go out on boats and will be able to sniff uh, the surface of water for a, a potential drowning victim. So um, they're very good at what they do, but are they um, imperfect? No. So I mean, they they do have uh, they're not infallible. So they they can miss something just the same way that we can. So well, well that makes sense. And and obviously smells are very specific. Um, so with drugs and explosives, I mean, the dogs just uh, are trained to look at one type of drug or, or explosive, or they have many, and if so, how many? And, and, and does that vary from, from animal to animal as to how many they can store in their memory files and their, their alert files? Okay, I don't know how many odors a dog can store, but I know, for example, our explosive detection canines, they, um, 
they're imprinted on about 16 different explosives. So 16 different explosive scents. Um, our narcotic detections are imprinted on, on four, uh, marijuana, heroin, cocaine, and methamphetamines. And those are um, families of drugs. So it, it would expand out to brothers and sisters of, of those types of of drugs. Um, for example, Iris is imprinted on uh, three chemicals, um, but she can find um, the brothers and sisters of those chemicals as well. So if, if it's a, a flame retardant chemical, they're, they're, she might be imprinted on a base chemical, but she will then, um, so I think you can hear her barking in the background. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I do too. Iris <laughs> well, on the show. show. <laughs> she, she can, yeah, right. <laughs> um, so they, where I'm going with it is, is they can store and be imprinted on lots and lots of chemicals. And, and the the good and bad of it is, is like I said, six repetitions, they'll become imprinted on something. So you could accidentally imprint them on odors and smells that, that are unwanted. So it's there's a science behind training them and proofing them off of um, odors that you don't want them to have. So, um, but yeah, I mean, they can store probably thousands of different different chemical smells, um, different odors that if you want them to detect those. Well, so that sounds like a very complicated. By the way, I just want to say that I'm so relieved that my dogs might not be the only ones barking. <laughs> 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 Usually happens, but but it sounds like it's a pretty complex training process so is it is it take a long time do you have to go to a, a special training area how how is all that done so i mean each each, uh, each different canine uh, training academy might differ um iris's training was was 10 weeks four weeks of imprinting six weeks of handler training um i think cia does uh, canine explosives i think their training is like 16 weeks but in general there's usually between four and six weeks of, of like an imprinting phase where the dogs are being imprinted on the chemicals and odors um, that, the, that they're going to be seeking for. And then there's always going to be a handler section where it's basically teaching um, the handler how, how to read the dog, what signs to see, how to, how to work a room, how to do a search pattern, um, and then how to go on and, and continue the training once, once you leave. The basic training just gives you the building blocks to continue uh, the training after you're done with the with, with the schooling. So, um, for example, Iris is a food reward dog, so she works every single day, seven days a week. So, although I went to ten, she went through ten weeks of training, four imprinting, six with myself. Um, really, she's not going to be proficient at what she does for probably about two years because it's 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 continual training every mm. single day. So, so can they detect someone who's just handled drugs or explosives? or, say, a place where the items had been at one time but aren't there anymore, or does it, does it actually have to be there at the time? No, absolutely. I mean, so there is residual odor. So uh, depending on the dog's threshold, um, and, and honestly, it's, it's a learning w- with the dog. So if, if you uh, – there's a saying that we do, tra- train easy, find easy, train hard, find hard. So it, let's say uh, for a narcotics detection canine, if you're only training the dog on mass quantities of marijuana or cocaine, then the dog is probably only ever going to find large quantities. So in an instance where you might have a gram of marijuana, a gram of cocaine, the dog might not find it because it's it's – olfactory senses are, are so keyed into only large amounts. Whereas if you train the dog in a range of um, quantities, 
they'll be able to find a range of quantities. Or if you train a high threshold to low threshold, they'll be able to find high threshold and low threshold. So, for example, will they find residual odor? Absolutely. Um, lots of dogs will alert on residual odor if something was at a location at one time um, because how long that odor will stay. I've left, um, just with Iris, and I, we can get into her specifics a little bit later, but I've left a cell phone on a carpet. Um, the chemical that she's imprinted on uh, leached into the carpet. After she found the cell phone, I removed it. A couple of days later, she alerted to the exact same spot that that uh, cell phone was once once at. Um, is she is she correct or incorrect at alerting? She's absolutely correct because the odor uh, leached into the carpet fibers and and, it, and it's still present. So she's trained on the chemical and that smell. So that's what she found. Um, we test the dogs by not even hiding devices. I'll, we will um, we'll take an odor and put it on a scent pad. Um, not even the actual drug or explosives. We'll take just just the, the odor of it, put it on a scent pad, and let the dogs just find basically the odor without the actual um, bomb or the actual uh, the, the drugs. It's a little bit different for drugs and explosives when it comes to electronics, um, and, I, and I can explain why. But um, So to answer your question, it's a long-winded answer, but yes, they, they can hit on basically uh, residual odor. And then it's going to go towards time. So how long, um, how long does the odor molecule, molecule stay in a specific area? And that, that's something that the science is still working out to say, okay, in this specific instance, this specific chemical or the specific odor, how long will that um, scent or chemical uh, reside? And it's going to obviously play into temperature and weather factors and, and um, w w air current and, and the location mm -hmm. that it's in. Um, odor probably doesn't stay uh, at the surface that it's laying on, how porous is the surface. So, I mean, there's outside factors that will play into how long a residual odor will, will be remaining in a specific area. Well, and to make this even more difficult, obviously um, drug smugglers and, and terrorists who are moving around explosive devices aren't aren't stupid and they kind of know these dogs are out there looking for them. What kind of things do they do to try to either mask or confuse the dog so that it, the cocaine doesn't smell like the cocaine or the explosive doesn't smell like the explosive? And do any of these things really work, or can, can the canines sort their way through all this stuff? Yeah, um, so I'm not that – so I, I can answer that question. I'm not an expert, again, on, on the narcotics right. or the explosives. Um, but but th the theory is the same for electronics as it would be because it's – they're picking up on a specific scent, a specific chemical. Um, so the do dogs work by, by being able to get into the scent cone of, of what they're looking for. So if odor is present, then they'll find it. If it's not present, then they won't find it. So are there ways to um, – minimize the amount of odor? Absolutely. Um, can you mask odor? I'm going to say no. Uh, right. Can, For example, a lot of people probably see in movies, like they'll use coffee grinds for drugs. A, a dog doesn't smell the way we smell. So uh, a dog, you're making um, uh, pasta sauce at home. When you walk into a house, what do you smell? You smell sauce. A dog walks into a house, and it'll smell tomatoes. It'll smell garlic. It'll smell basil. It'll smell olive oil. It'll smell all the components used to make up the sauce. So if you're hiding um, a drug inside of a, 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 a more prominent smell, um, at first maybe the dog might be overwhelmed, but once it, it, it comes in and is allowed to adjust to the odors in the room, it'll start to be able to distinguish 
all the, and separate out all the different smells. So putting marijuana inside coffee grinds, it's going to smell the coffee grinds and what makes up coffee grinds as well as the marijuana. So it's not you're not going to be able to mask the odor as long as that odor is able to um, basically leach out of wherever it's at. Now, um, if you put something in a let's say a airtight container. Um, and you put it in right now, in 20 minutes you run the dog by that, will the dog be able to find uh, what's inside that airtight container? Probably not. But let's say you come back in a year um, and that odor had time to leach into the surrounding material, then, yeah, the dog will probably be able to find it. Uh, We did tests with Iris where we hid in electronics in hermetically sealed containers, and um, she was able to find the devices because the device – his odor leached into the surrounding material, and she was able to identify it. And we were shocked because it's hermetically sealed. It's supposed to be airtight, waterproof, yet she was still able to locate the container with the device in it. So um, there's ways to minimize it. Um, obviously, other things play factors into how the dogs will be able to smell it, such as, again, time, um, temperature are, are two big two big factors. Um but, I mean, are there ways to truly hide anything? No, as long as uh, the odor is able to get to the dog, they'll be able to find it. So there's ways to probably minimize it, but um, I, I personally don't believe there's ways to fully um, mask the explosives or the narcotics or electronics. Um, but there are ways to so, minimize it. But yeah, So even things that we we look at as inert, like plastic bags, they're not really inert because... The molecules are actually starting to incorporate with the plastic and intermingle, and they sooner or later reach the surface and leap into the air. And that's Correct. kind of why you find so time in that case is actually on your side rather than your enemy. Correct. <laughs> and Absolutely. then the other thing you talk about, the pasta sauce, that we as humans obviously take qualitative analysis, so to speak. We, we have a certain combination. We say, oh, that's grandmother's uh, pasta sauce. But the dog just looks at it as a as a laundry list of chemicals. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Well, what about ele- electronic noses? You know, they, those things are. And I know in the Casey Anthony case, you know, they were trying to distinguish between the child's body and a, a, a an old pizza in the trunk of her car. And right. um, so, electronic noses. I know Bill Bass and his group have been working on those some, and other people have. How good are they, and how do they stack up to what canines can do? Yeah, I mean, I don't know that much about electronic noses to speak that intelligently on, and, and, and you might actually know more than me, and correct me if I'm wrong. My, my understanding of it is is that um, they're trying to replicate them to mimic um, human olfactory senses. And if that's the case, and if I'm wrong, by all means correct me, because I'm not an expert on, on the electronic noses. Uh, our, our senses are, are, are 2 million olfactory receptors as compared to a dog's 200 million. So right. if that is the case, then um, I, 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 I would side on the side of the canine as being the better solution. Right. Now, the flip side is, is I can make an argument for the other side, is that, okay, well, the, the e-noses aren't going to get tired. They're not going to be affected by um, extreme heats where, where a dog might have to take breaks and need water and have to go to the bathroom and need to eat food. Um, I, dogs' noses will become saturated with the chemicals that they're seeking, um, and over time it's going to desensitize them where they're going to have to take a break um, from from searching. Um, so on that flip side, I can see where the benefit of using um, – 
the Enos would come into play. I just don't know yeah. in terms of how well they are if they're trying to mimic our senses as as opposed to the dog's 2 million uh, olfactory receptors. Um, yeah, I think, again, I think most of them are basically gas chromatographs, so they're kind correct, of looking the for certain yep. chemicals. and uh, So they have to be pre-programmed to identify those. Uh, Correct, and I would imagine dogs would be much more sensitive at that. I, I agree well, I mean, we we use gas chromatographs. I mean, sure. for Iris's case, we use that to identify the odor that she's going to be imprinted on, and then we obviously right. imprint on it. So we know. I mean, again, so I could see. Okay, you have the odor. We know what it is, and then you you program that in with the enos, and then you run it around. But is it again? Uh, you can play both sides. I mean, I would like to see them matched up side by side, just uh, for for uh, educational purposes to see how they. So dogs are also used to track people. How are they trained, and how good are they at doing that? Uh, I mean, they're great at it. I mean, there's different types of dogs for tracking people and different methods. Um, you have a, a tracking dog, but you also have a trailing dog. Um, dogs can do ground disturbance or, or uh, track via the air. Um, so so it depends. There's two different types of dogs. Now, typically you'll have a dog, a tracking dog is, is one discipline and a trailing dog is another discipline. Can you have a dual discipline dog? Absolutely, and that would be the better of the solutions, but usually you focus in on one. So um, a tracking dog would is what it is. It, it, you'll track basically footsteps um, through grass or, or across the pavement. Um, so the dog is only essentially following the, the ground disturbance beneath him and is ignoring basically scent detection or air air, air detection. Um, so when you step on grass, I mean, you're breaking up grass that's that's producing um, odors from, from, from the grass, and, and you kind of train the dog. And, again, I, I've never trained a tracking dog. I mean, this is just basic knowledge. Um, m- most likely you create a track and um, to train it, you're going to lay some food, like a, whatever it is, a reward down to follow the track that, you, that you're, you're wanting the dog to find. The problem with tracking dogs is, is that if, if you go in an area where there's multiple people creating tracks, you could pick up on the wrong track because it's not necessarily finding the scent of the person, just the track. So you'd have to go into an area, say some, um, a prisoner escapes, runs through a field, You'd have to get to that scene and and basically cordon off the scene and say, hey, has anybody besides the suspect been past this point that we want to track? And if the answer is no, you're good to go. So when the dog finds a track, the belief is is that track is the only track that's been created by the suspect. Um, You would run into an issue where if people had already started the search and then you bring the canine in, you could pick up on um, the search team's track because that, that the dog's only following ground disturbance. Whereas if you have a trailing dog, they're trained the same way that you would train any other dog with, with scent detection, except they're trained, um, basically they're trained on almost like human skin or human scents. Um, I think we shed something like 40,000 skin cells a minute. Uh, so um, as long as you have uh, a clothing item that's that's just that person, the dog would then be presented with the item that they're looking to track and be able to follow basically the fallen skin cells um, through the air um, or even down close to the ground as it lands on um, leaves and grass and and pavement um, and follow it in that manner. Um, Sometimes you'd have to do uh, like proofing the dog off. So let's say 
Uh, you might have a cloth clothing item of a rape victim. Um, that's the only thing you get is the victim and not necessarily the suspect's clothes. Uh, it, you know that the suspect's skin cells or, or odor is on the victim's clothes, but so is the victim. So you'd have to have the dog basically smell the clothes and then proof them off of the victim or, or, or basically um, discriminate them off the victim so then they know to only track the other scent, the other skin cell, mm -hmm. the other odor. So are, are they good at it? They're absolutely good at it. Um, can, can they track for miles and miles and miles? Sure, again, but it's also going to play into time and temperature and, and conditions. Um, I would say that the, the trailing dog is, is going to do a better job at um, acquiring the person faster than a tracking dog because a tracking dog is a more slow and methodical search of the track, which obviously would tire the dog out more. You might get to an area where there isn't some ground disturbance and then you lose the track um, whereas the trail, the odors and the scent of the individual can be carried um, via air current for miles and miles and miles. So, um, well, that that brings up something that I think some of us have heard about: that uh, say a suspect could drive off in a car, or uh, even say a, a victim might be taken in a a car. Can the dogs? Uh, well, trail or tra I guess it would be trail in this case. The trail, yeah. Yeah, or I'm sorry, yeah, <laughs> track. I'm back. Uh, but yeah, so they're going to air do the air scenting part of that, obviously, for that because there's going to be nothing on the ground. Um, but can they do that? Can they follow people in cars? Yeah, the answer is yes. Um, how they go about doing that, I, I'll be honest, I don't even know. I know that if it's air, I mean. It, there has to be some odor still in the air current for them to, to do that. So, I mean, odor, I mean, you would think that you get in a car, like, hey, you're encased in this car, so, and I'm driving away, that my odor, my scent, my skin cells are not being emitted from the vehicle. But in, in reality, I mean, you have your air conditioner, the, your vents, I mean, the, 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 nothing is sealed in the car. Um, I right, mean, odor it's not a submarine. <laughs> Correct. So the the answer is yes, and it, it's been tested and it's been done in training where um, the dog has, has been presented with an individual scent, and that person um, crossed the field, got into a car, drove a couple miles away, and the dog ended up um, trailing the dog, trailing the individual to the location. So the, the, the person did get into a vehicle um, and, and did proceed uh, some distance away. So the answer is yes, it can be done. Um, the statistics on how often the, 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 and, and how good they are at it, um, I don't know. But, I mean, if it, if it works once, I'd have to imagine it can work twice. And if, if the theory is if the dog can get the odor um, emitting from the vehicle, um, which would then probably uh, odor fall so or skin cells would fall, it would it would leave a, a trail of where that individual had went, had gone. So um, they should be able to do it, yes. Well, let's... Uh Let's turn to you know your area of expertise, and that's detecting electronic devices. And I imagine that in law enforcement, this is a difficult problem, and and obviously a growing problem as the world becomes more digitized. So, first of all, what types of devices uh, might be might you be looking for at the FBI in in in, in either criminal or or terrorist uh, investigations? Yeah, I mean, so I mean, our, our our world has moved into the digital age, where really everything um, that we do that we don't even think about is is electronic. Um, 
specifically in, in investigations, I mean, um, most of, of criminality is done on devices that maintain storage. So your cell phones, your computers, or your hard drives, your thumb drives, your micro SD cards from cameras and, the, and SD cards from, from digital cameras as well and video recorders, um, they all maintain uh, storage. Um, and, and criminals use these methods for communication, for research, um, for, for committing uh, criminal activity. Um, and that all, all of those devices will maintain some type of uh, footprint uh, that, that would be used as evidence in, in, in the crimes that they commit. So in cases of, I mean, I just, uh, like terrorist activities, they might be doing research on building plans online or they might be communicating. I mean, ISIS now is trying to recruit on Twitter and Facebook. Um, th those communications are, are being captured on some electronic device on their computer, on a cell phone, um, they might be storing some of their plans on a USB drive. Um, so finding those devices uh, is crit critical in what we do. Um, and criminals are, are becoming smarter and they're realizing that um, something the size of a finger or a pinky can store millions of data and, and information and it's very easy to hide something like that or it's very easy to disguise those devices if you want, want to. Um, I, my previous case work had been in child pornography. Um, that's all done on, on computers, and it's all all those uh, images that these, these individuals are um, creating and storing and trading are being stored on computers, and, and they're storing on thumb drives, and the type of individuals committing those crimes are types of individuals that don't um, delete that information. They're, they're collectors, so they will collect and store and hide uh, those those images. Um, and for us to go into a house and, and search for the something the size of a, a pinky nail is extremely difficult, and it's very easy for us to miss. Um, and that's where the dog would come into play, being able to essentially identify or locate items that we either um, failed to find during a search or is just beyond our capabilities of, of where they're possibly located that we wouldn't, wouldn't be able to get to behind walls or in air vents, um, which happens all the time. So... Um, it, there's other uh, applications that don't necessarily maintain storage in, in such um, cases as counterintelligence cases um, uh, that uh, we might need to identify in terms of, of spying, um, maybe audio recording devices or video recording devices that don't necessarily maintain storage but do contain printed circuit boards that we would want to identify um, or locate. Um, and again, that, that is a situation where the dog would come in um, most likely in, in situations where devices are concealed in, in items that we would never imagine would contain those types of devices. Mm. Um, and again, that goes towards uh, the way criminals hide things as well as, as our, our inability to um, identify or locate if something is hidden inside of a desk or let's say something's hidden inside of a, a wall. We're not going to have a method to search the wall unless we demolish a house. So and we're not typically going in on a search warrant and, and ripping out walls um, unless we yeah. have intel that, that something's hidden there. Whereas if the dog who's trained to find these devices would alert, then we would have um, more of a justification in, in searching that wall or, or destroying that wall. So. 
So as as you were just mentioning, you're now using um, dogs. That's quite a range. Really, I don't think we all often think of the amazing range of of criminal activity that that can be involved in. Um, but you're using dogs um, to track down um, those electronic devices. So tell us a little more about that, and especially we want to hear about um, Iris, who, who we heard from a little bit earlier. <laughs> and and uh, as I understand it, she's she is the only dog the FBI has right now that can detect electronic devices. That, that's correct. So she is the FBI's first um, electronic uh, detection canine. <clears throat> she is uh, one of seven uh, law enforcement trained dogs in the world. Um, so she, uh, I mean, just I'll just tell you about her training. I mean, she went, uh, I mentioned it earlier, she did four weeks of imprinting and then uh, six weeks of handler training. Uh, we trained with Connecticut State Police. They kind of pioneered the program. So um, there is a uh, uh, forensic analyst who uh, had worked at Quantico who ended up leaving um, the FBI and, and, and took over the head of uh, Connecticut's forensic lab and, and a chemist underneath him um, ended up doing the, the research on the devices, uh, similar methods, gas chromatographs and spectrum analyzers, and um, he, they basically identified um, it's, the chemical that is associated with the devices. Is, is There's multiple chemicals associated with electronic devices, specifically printed circuit boards, but they identified a single chemical that is universal amongst all of them that had the highest concentration um, that they found. Uh, it was presented to their canine unit and said, hey, can we imprint the dogs to find um, electronics? And obviously the first response is, I doubt it, but we'll try because it all goes back to um, odor. If they can't get an odor from something, then the dogs aren't going to find it. So in theory, how much odor is being emitted from um, a, a USB drive or a micro SD card or an SD card? I mean, these things, are, like I said, are the size of a pinky nail. Um, so the scent cone coming off of that device is going to be so minute that their, their belief at the time was is that there's no way the dog would have to physically be on the device to find the device. But it was presented to them. They were they were presented with the chemical associated um, with storage media. Uh, they imprinted the dogs, and they started a pilot program um, probably back in 2012, um, and they imprinted two uh, basically test dogs um, and they didn't they didn't the dogs basically trained for a year before ever being deployed they they every day they trained they were imprinted and they ran through training drills with the chemicals um, <clears throat> before ever using them in a real world situation they ended up seeing that um, the dogs were performing beyond their expectations and they ended up deploying the dogs um, and and basically it worked so they opened up the program nationally and that's how um, Iris, the first FBI dog, got it. we got into the program, first national program after the two pilot dogs, um, and Iris, and then there was um, four other dogs in the class, uh, and then including the two pilot dogs makes seven. So um, she went through the 10-week the program. Um, although, like I said, it's a 10-week program, she's a food reward dog, so she has to train every single day to eat. That's the only way she eats is when she works. She's a black lab, so... Um, she was selected for her high food drive, so that's that's why we use labs because they do have a high food drive, um, and the fact that it's such a small um, scent cone, uh, working her every day just keeps her skills 
um, be honed. Uh, she's better. She'll be better tomorrow than she was today, and, and so on and so forth. Each day, uh, she gets better and better. Um, every time I introduce a new search pattern or a new device, a new um, concealment location, um, she learns. Okay, here's an, a location where I could find a device, and here's how I'm picking up the scent. This is how I need to search this area. I need to sniff this seam, or I need to sniff this this corner of the wall. Um, so. It, being a food-driven dog, it plays into the type of scent um, she's looking for. Um, so that's kind of kind of her background, where she came from. I'm sure there's a lot of questions that go you're going to have about the training, but um, that's basically uh, Iris. Um, she we graduated in April, and, and we probably been deployed once a week since April. Whether it's doing some type of a demonstration presentation. Um, uh, uh, multiple operations. Some of them I, I can't even speak about. Um, but she has has been um, has exceeded my expectations, and uh, she's not going to be fully proficient probably for about two years. Um, she has her good days. She has her bad days. Like I said, she's not infallible. Um, there are days where I might introduce something new to her, and uh, she'll be confused. But after we work through it, um, it clicks, and she gets it. Um, it, it's like, honestly, it's like teaching, um, children math problems or, or a new subject. Um, although she's imprinted on a base chemical, she will, uh, catalog all the other smells associated with any new device that, that she receives. So when she's looking for her devices, um, she will obviously always find the base chemical that she's imprinted on, but, um, she knows that she's located the device when she runs through the catalog smells that she's been fed on. And that kind of goes back to how I said you get imprinted on something six times um, every time you reward off the six times. So there are cases where you could inadvertently imprint the dog with something that you don't want them to smell. So her training is very meticulous. Every single day I have to um, basically do a, the version of a search warrant for her to eat. And then I have to also introduce some distractors. I have to introduce um, some items that I need to proof her off of, um, items that might be considered contaminants um, based on where she's locating a device. Uh, so if I put a device uh, in a tin can and then I hide the tin can, I have to proof her off tin cans because if she finds the device, she's also finding the odor of the tin can as well. And she'll alert to the device, but I'll end up feeding her on the tin can because it's where the device is hidden inside. Mm -hmm. So I have to then proof her off tin cans. So I have to hide blank tin cans as well so she knows that I'm always finding the base chemical associated with the device inside of the concealment device, not the outside concealment device. So anything I hide, it, hide a device in, I have to proof her off of the concealment device or concealment container or, or location or furniture or, or, or whatever I'm hiding it in. So I know that's another long-winded answer, but... <laughs> oh, that's great. Um, well, you know, we, we know that, you know, certain breeds of dogs are good at certain things. You know, bloodhounds are supposed to be good at tracking, and anybody who hunts out there knows that rabbit hunters use beagles often and, and bird hunters use pointers and stuff like that. Uh, what, and what types of... Um, of dogs are used for electronic detection. I think you mentioned that Iris was a lab, uh, it, it, and you mentioned that she was easily rewarded with food. Aren't we all? Uh, uh, so, what what are the qualities you look for, and what types of breeds do you think, realizing this is in its infancy, uh, 
make good electronic detection dogs? Sure. I mean, can any dog be trained um, for scent detection? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's you can look at it like almost like teaching a dog a trick. I mean, could I could I teach a Yorkie to track? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. But just like uh, in, in humans, um, some, some tall people are better at basketball than short people. But can we all play basketball? Yeah, we can all pick up a ball and probably shoot it. Some of us will make the shot. Some of us won't make the shot. Same with dogs. Some dogs are just um, built and have the genetic capabilities that are that are more conducive for certain types of scent work. Um, labs were specifically chosen for this type of scent work because of how um, – meticulous the search needs to be uh, and how small the scent cone is uh, for them to locate. So um, for narcotics detection and explosive detections, we use Malinois um, because they're high-drive dogs and they're, they're all play-reward dogs. And because of the, the drive for a ball or a drive for a towel um, is it, so great that, that that is their reward. So mo- most scent dogs are uh, play-driven. Um, or, or, or ball-driven. Um, th- they do use um, food reward for specifically, let me rephrase that, food reward is specifically or, or typically used um, for scent detections where the odor is extremely small or almost invisible uh, to human beings. So a lot of arson dogs are, scent, are, are food-driven. Um, because the drive to eat and survive, that's a natural instinct that if I don't get uh, fed, I'm going to die. Um, and the only way I'm going to get fed is if I find this specific odor, and I need to find this specific odor every single time I go out, otherwise I'm not going to get fed. Whereas play-driven, if you have a play-reward canine, wh- what do you do in a, in a day where the dog is like, you know what, I just don't feel like playing today, or I'm tired. Um, you do have those those days where you might have a, a canine that is – um, might have a high drive, but maybe its 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 drive isn't isn't that great for the for the play or for the ball, um, and just becomes lazy on a specific day. If the dog's not going to go after the ball, it's not going to work. Um, and that's why we use Malinois because Malinois are are usually off the chart in terms of play driven. Um, shepherds as well um, are, are high play drive dogs. But you could get a specific single shepherd or a Malinois that maybe has a low play drive, and they are a detection canine, but they might not want to play that day. Whereas food reward, dogs have to eat every single day. They have to eat to survive. Um, And more so with labs, their food drive is through the roof. Um, Labs will eat anything that they can get their hands on, whether it's a a wooden chair, a plastic ball, or or the the food that they're given. They will eat and eat and eat and eat, and when they're full, they'll still eat. So, and that that's typically why they use labs. Um, they're more docile dogs. So, uh, mo- let me say that most dogs are most labs are docile. I have a very high drive uh, lab, um, but her food drive is is ex- is extremely high. So, um, wh- when you need to search for the electronics, being that it's such a minute odor, the search in a room has to be extremely methodical and detailed. Um, so I will need to uh, run my hand along the seam of a desk drawer and on the b- baseboard flooring, um, and I need the dog to sniff everywhere that I uh, throw a target to. Whereas if I had a Malinois running through this room, 
the dog will do a drive-by sniff of an entire wall. And, and unfortunately, with this odor, that's not going to work. The dog is not going to pick up on the scent because of how small the scent cone is. Um, the dog needs to be methodical in its searching. Um, and that's typically why we'll, we will use a lab, um, and specifically food reward uh, lab, for, for that uh, type of uh, scent detection. Very good. We only got a little over ten minutes left. There's a lot of things we want. We want to ask oh, you. So, I'm sorry. So I want to. No, 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 no. you're doing fantastic. This is what we want. We want to hear all this stuff. This is fantastic stuff. It's just this is such a huge topic. So uh, you know, you, you mentioned earlier, and I think this is fascinating. What exactly is it that Iris alerts on in this electronic world, and how good is she at doing all this stuff? Sure. I mean, to give you the short of it, there's a um, – I, I can't give out the, the exact chemical, but there's a specific chemical. Um, so all printed circuit boards have to fall under um, – there's a governing body that governs uh, the manufacturing of printed circuit boards. Um, and they all have to be FR4 rated, which is basically a flame retardant rated uh, circuit board. So anytime you use your phone or your hard drive or your computer um, – uh, the transistors and the memory chips, um, the, everything heats up essentially to run. The hard drive starts spinning. Um, a lot of heat is generated. There, there are inside computers. There, there are heat sinks and fans. But even the chips themselves will heat up. Well, um, if you didn't use um, this specific chemical, it's a flame retardant chemical. Everything would burn up, and, and none of our devices would ever work. So, all electronic printed circuit boards uh, contain uh, th uh, basically an epoxy resin, uh, and within the epoxy resin is a basically a flame-retardant chemical um, that is used to cool the chips on the boards, and that chemical is what she is essentially imprinted on, and that's what she is finding when she finds the devices. So when I had said that I proof her off other, other items, um, let's say I had a dog and I imprint the dog taking an entire thumb drive and having the dog sniff the thumb drive, um, and being imprinted on the thumb drive in all the chemicals in and itself. Is the dog going to essentially be imprinted on the same chemical that my dog is imprinted on? Absolutely. But it's also being imprinted all at once on the, the plastic, the glue, um, and all the other components. So if you take that dog and have it try to find other electronics, the dog is not going to be able to find other electronics. It's only going to be able to find that thumb drive with all all those essential uh, chemicals associated with it. The difference with our dog is, is that she's imprinted on a specific chemical universal to all electronic devices and all printed circuit boards. So it doesn't matter what glue is used to put one thumb drive together as opposed to what glue is used to put a hard drive together or a micro SD card or your cell phone. All that matters is, is that it's the chemical in the epoxy resin that is uh, universally um, utilized to be FR4 rated amongst all printed circuit boards, and that's essentially what she's alerting on. I want to um, talk a little bit about the human side of this because working dogs obviously work in a really special and intense relationship with people. So how did you become a handler? Uh, honestly, it was by accident. Um, we uh, We kind of did some research. I, I work, uh, I'm currently on a cyber squad, so I, I, I was working cyber investigations, and um, we just kind of got wind about um, the capabilities of dogs um, locating electronic devices. We had previous cases where um, 
we had individuals such as like a child pornographer hide hard drives behind walls um, and and via other methods after an individual had been arrested we we had come to find out that we had missed some evidence that were hidden in like ductwork um, via let's say um, like jailhouse taped calls that mm-hmm. we ended up identifying that okay uh, we missed a thumb drive that he hid somewhere so we said well how can we better our searching capabilities because we're although we have the legal right to go into a home, um, search the entire house by any, any means necessary, it, it would be viewed as unreasonable if we started smashing walls in to, to see if there's something <laughs> hidden behind behind a mm-hmm. wall. So wh- how, how else would we be able to identify um, media that might be hidden? Uh, we do have capabilities for like heat signatures, but let's say the device would have to be on. So if there's a thumb drive hidden in the ceiling, using a device that, that picks up on um, heat signatures is not going to work. So we, we, we looked into the dogs. Um, myself and another agent identified um, the, the electronic detection canines. We basically had uh, leftover money in our, our, our budget here in Newark, uh, Newark Field Office, and we drafted a request uh, basically justifying why we would want the dog, purchase the dog, train the dog, and how we would use it uh, across the bureau, and, and it got approved. Um, um, the reason why I became the canine handler was is I, I basically volunteered for it. Uh, it was either myself or the other agent who identified the program, and it just so happens that I live in the area. Uh, I live in this area, and the other agent is, is from Florida, and his career aspirations were to eventually get home to Florida, so it made more sense for me to take the dog than for him to... Uh, to become trained as the handler, so that that's just kind of how it, it fell into my lap. So I had I had interest in in dogs um, pre bureau. Um, I have I have dogs. I love dogs. Um, so it seemed like a natural progression to volunteer and, and to move forward into this to this career path. Well, that's that brings up a, another important aspect of this. So so talk about how this is different from say pet ownership or even say owning an agility trained dog. Um, it, it's a lot, it's a lot more work. So Iris basically encompasses my entire day, every single day. Um, uh, she comes to work with me. I mean, she does live with me, so she does go, go home with me at night. So when she's not working, she, she does become a normal pet to an extent. Um, so being that she's food reward, she doesn't get fed at home. She doesn't get to eat out of a bowl. The only food she gets is about a cup and a half of food a day. And only when she's working, only when she's finding hidden media that I'm that I'm setting up for her in a training atmosphere or during a real operation and and once she has is fed uh, that's it she doesn't get treats like my other dogs she does like I said she doesn't get bowl fed um so the the training of her every single day is is very time consuming um if there might be days where I might take a day off from work, I still have to train the dog. I still have to feed her. I still have to work her. I have to do it on weekends. I have to do it on holidays. Um, I have to take her on vacation with me and do it on vacation. Otherwise, she doesn't eat. Um, so it's it's a 24-hour-a-day, seven-day-a-week job, and she works seven days a week. Um, I have to be careful during my home life that my kids don't drop food on the floor or try to feed her. Um, so I have to be very uh, cognizant of of food um, because if she realizes that she can get food via another source then her drive to find the devices will diminish so it's it's very it's very difficult um she likes to put a lot of things in her mouth like i said she's a lab she'll eat anything so when she's hungry she'll chew on uh, she chews up stuff in my house all the time but um i love it so um. she sounds like my cat who will go to whoever has thumbs 
Um, <laughs> now, we, we've heard a lot of people talk about how, you know, that they have these super dogs that can do this and do that and track this and find that and do all that kind of stuff. But, but you know, that's not really the case, and I think you've laid that out, that there are pluses and minuses this whole thing. So what are some of the things that, that, that detection dogs in general, and, and particularly Iris in the electronic world, what can they not do? What can't they find? What circumstances baffle them? Yeah, so it's all going to go back to what I re- – everything goes back to odor. So the dog, in my opinion, and, and what I've seen with Iris, if they can get their nose into the odor that they're trained, they will find the source. If, they, if the odor does not exist or is not available to them, then they, they, that is their limitation. They will not find it. For example, if I take a hard drive and I put it on the floor and I put a fan behind it and I blow um, the the scent of the hard drive towards her, she will find that hard drive. If I move her behind the fan and have her sniff right behind the hard drive, she won't find the device because that entire scent cone is being blown away from her nose. Um, so that is is the basics of of scent detection. If, if the odor exists and they can get to it, they'll find it. So um, are there super dogs that will find every single time? Absolutely not. There's too many factors that play into how a dog can find um, something that they're imprinted on. Um, and, and dogs are never going to be 100%. It's just they're, they're a living, breathing thing. They're, they're not infallible. Um, I've seen Iris do some amazing things. I've seen her find items and devices in places that I could not believe she, she would have found these devices. Where, where I didn't realize that they were in there, it was in a training situation, something was hidden in a location. I, I have to talk around this because some of, of what it is is classified. So um, <laughs> mm-hmm. it, it was hidden in a location that you would never assume would be containing any type of electronic media. Um, she's pulling me towards this location, and I'm pulling her away because it, 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 you, in my mind, I'm like, they're, they're, she's going to false on me, falsing meaning she's going to falsely alert on something, um, and I'm like, that's not it. And she ends up going up to the item, and she sits. She's a passive alert dog, so she's trained to sit. And I'm looking at her, and I'm about to correct her. If she, if she falses on something, you're supposed to correct them off of it um, um, for whatever reason, if, it, if she might have picked up on a scent and she got confused. And she sits on this item, and I was about to correct her, and, and the other canine trainer who was there was like, no, 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 she's correct. That That's where it is. And I was shocked because it was in a location that you wouldn't think that the odor could be escaping from, and you wouldn't think that there would be anything there. And she sat on it, and she alerted to it. So, um Super dog or not, she, there was an odor, and she was able to, to get to it. So it wasn't what the item looked like. It wasn't by sight. It wasn't by uh, feel or touch. It, it looked completely innocuous, but the odor that she was imprinted on was emitting from this location, and that's what she alerted to, and, and she was absolutely correct. So um, it, to my opinion, and to answer that question, it's all going to be based on odor, and if the dog can get to the odor, they'll get to the item, and if they can't, then they won't. Um, so, I mean, an odor odor is affected by a lot of factors. Again, temperature, time, um, it, other odors, other odors in a room can can affect it. So, um, there is no super dog. Yeah, <laughs> but there are some really good ones, and some well, dogs are sounds like than Iris them. is a really good one. And uh, I tell you, Jeff, this has just been absolutely fascinating. Uh, yes, it's a whole arena that 
that Jan and I, before we met you, didn't even know existed. I don't think most people did. And we really appreciate you coming in here and sharing your knowledge and, and also introducing us to Iris. She sounds very, very special. Well, my pleasure. Thank you for having yeah, me. Yeah. Well, well, that concludes this episode of uh, Crime and Science Radio. As always, uh, check out the Crime and Science Radio website and and the Suspense Radio site on Blog Talk Radio and my website. We will have more links and more information on Iris and Jeff and all that there. And until next time, we uh, thank you all for joining us here, and we'll see you on the next episode.